All right, um, my name is Jose. I'm thrilled to be back. If, if you're part of our church, uh, you know, I was in Romania last weekend, speaking at churches on the Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Sunday, and then spent this last week in Estonia. These are both places where if you're newer to our church, we've had long-term partnership and connection. And so uh, we're preparing for an outreach, Lord willing, in the spring. So I was meeting with pastors and leaders and preaching to Christians this time. And we helped with a church plant in Estonia around the time we were planted and was meeting with our leadership team. And it's so exciting to see as we've had our 10-year journey and they've had their decade-long journey and how they're navigating and what open doors that they're walking through and just being a blessing to them on your behalf. I wish we would have all gone together so you could see firsthand but uh, we'll share more updates as we get closer to that outreach on how to pray for Cebu, Romania. Now, um, we're on a long journey here together on the Holy Spirit. And I think, because we're four weeks in, I think we could be confused in saying like, well, why are we gonna take so long uh, to talk about one part of who God is? And it's, it's because we wanna know God. We don't wanna just know about him. We wanna know him. And so every week we're thinking of a truth or two or three truths, not just for information, but really for transformation. And and today is going to continue in that vein. Last week, Stephen talked about how we see God, the Holy Spirit, working in the first part of the Bible, we call the Old Testament, which really is everything leading up to Jesus, how the Spirit is present. Today we're shifting, and now we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit is at work in and through the life of Jesus. And that's not going to be one Sunday. It's going to be the whole month. As we make our way towards Christmas, we want to see how Jesus is interacting with the Spirit so we can figure out how we can better be in relationship with the Holy Spirit in day-to-day life. All right, before we do that, though, uh, I promised if you ask questions, we will answer them, and I want to keep my promise. Um, We've had a bunch come in, and so I'm just going to start. I'm going to do this about every two to three weeks Just take your questions, and we're going to rattle them off, and then we'll get into the main uh, idea for the day. First question that came in, uh, these are in no particular order. I just put them in this order. Why do we refer uh, to the Holy Spirit as the, and not just Holy Spirit, as we do with God, not the God or the Jesus? Is it similar to calling God the Lord? Good, Good, honest question. Simple answer on this one. Most of the time we put in the just because in English grammar, it helps make the sentence make more sense for us. Uh, But if we're referring to God, we could say, uh, the Father sent the Son by the Holy Spirit. So you can have the, the, you can drop it, you could say Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, It will sound quirkier in, in English, but it's equally important. Here's the most important part, and I'm not sure if this is part of the question. Um, having the article there, the, doesn't make him any less or any more God. We're talking about God, the Spirit, okay? So that, that was a simple one. I just figured we'd start with that. Now let's jump to the deep end of the pool. In Mark 3, 29, Jesus says that blaspheming the Holy Spirit is an unforgivable sin. Should we be careful what we do and don't attribute to the work of the Spirit? I'll read the verse because some of you are like, What's Mark 3.29? Just listen. Truly I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins and every slander they utter, but, this is Jesus speaking, whoever blasphemes the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. (laughs) I don't even want to commit that one. I mean, we don't. So what is blaspheming 
the Holy Spirit. I'm going to get into what Jesus taught on the Spirit, so I'll go more in depth there. But I want to give the short answer because this is one that comes up again and again. Write it down and take a photo. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit, quote-unquote, happens when a person fully rejects Jesus and his work of salvation. If you read it, this shows up in, in Mark 3, shows up in Matthew 12, shows up in Luke 11. All three of those Gospels share the same encounter. And what happened, Jesus had healed someone who um, was deaf and mute, couldn't hear, couldn't speak. And the Bible says, in casting out a demon, they were set free. And this should have led to praise to God, but the religious teachers actually flipped it and said, no, this isn't the work of God, even though it's quite obvious that by God's power, this person had been set free, not only of evil presence, but physically being able to hear and to speak, they said, Jesus is doing this by the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons, a.k.a. Satan. And, and what Jesus is warning is because Jesus is doing God's work by the power of the Holy Spirit, they're rejecting Jesus and his being sent by the Father, working the power of the Spirit, and he's looking ahead to people who are gonna hear about him. So to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to say that what God has done in sending his son Jesus to rescue and save and deliver and heal and make whole and to claim it's by some other power is to reject God himself. So what's the one sin that God won't forgive? And Jesus is using this term to explain that. The sin he will not forgive is to reject him and his plan to rescue. Now he wants to forgive, but if you say no to Jesus, if you claim that Jesus isn't who he says he is, and you end this life, and here's the key caveat, to blaspheme the Holy Spirit is to end your days rejecting Jesus as the way and the truth and the life. If you leave this earth in that state, that sin carries over onto eternity, and, and it won't be forgiven, and the consequences of rejecting Jesus are enormous in the age to come, and we don't want to do that. A little practical tip, if you're worried about blaspheming the Holy Spirit, you probably aren't. It's totally practical. If you're actually concerned, if, am I offending the Holy Spirit? Am I rejecting the Spirit? Am I grieving the Spirit? It shows a sensitivity that you want to honor God for who he is. And so I don't think that Jesus is saying if you say this magic phrase or this certain you know, statement that he won't forgive you even though you repent of it. No, this is someone who's rejected Jesus, which these leaders had. Hope that makes sense. All right, that was the long answer. There'll be even a longer, longer one in the days to come. Lucky you. All right, uh, two more questions that were kind of the same, and I'll do these, and then we'll jump into today's discussion on the Spirit and Jesus. What's the difference between intuition and the Holy Spirit? It's a great question. Because And the person wrote, because people have intu intuition, even if they aren't believers in Jesus. And someone else asked, is my conscience part of the Holy Spirit. I love that you're digging into this because everything we hear leads to some more questions. We want to be a church where you bring your questions and get good dialogue around it. And, uh, and where the Bible is clear, we need to be clear. Where the Bible is not clear, we need to extend grace and thoughtfulness and listen to one another. In this one, I think the Bible is actually quite clear about how we understand intuition or gut feeling or conscience, you know, the part that's not physical, but you know that's, it's within you telling you right and wrong. Um, here's a couple of things I just want you to think about, short answers, 
We could talk longer if you'd like. Everyone has a conscience. Uh, and I'm going to give you scripture for all this stuff. I'm not making this stuff up. Romans 2, 12 to 15. I'll just quote part of it. Uh, Paul is saying everyone's going to stand before God recognizing they're guilty of sin. And he gives the reason. For those who are Jews, they have the Bible. And the Bible tells us right, wrong, what's sin and what's holy. And they're going to be judged by what they know. But those who don't have the Bible, quote Romans 2.15, they show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts sometimes accusing them, and at other times defending them. Everyone is accountable to God because he's given every one of us a conscience, an internal knower between right and wrong. Those of us who know the Bible, it's clear as day, but even those who don't, God's placed with them. He's made us in his image, the ability to think and feel and know and decide. So everyone has a conscience. But someone asked, like, well, is that the Holy Spirit? The answer is no. Why? The Holy Spirit, who's God, created the conscience and wants to guide it. This is where we need to think carefully here. You have this thought and this feeling, is this right? Is this wrong? Is this my conscience? Is this the Holy Spirit? You don't need to be confused. The Holy Spirit wants to inform and guide that part of you called your conscience, but they're not one and the same. So the Holy Spirit isn't a force that's within you. He's a person. He's God, and God wants to inform your thinking, which means he can. Now, 1 Corinthians 4, 4 to 5 there was a debate in the church, and this is what Paul says. It's interesting. My conscience is clear. Some were saying Paul is who he says he is. Others were doubting Paul's authority. And this is what he says. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It's the Lord who will judge me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Some would say Paul isn't a great leader. He wasn't sent from God. And, and Paul's clear. I got, my conscience is clear. I stand. I stand. I, I know who I am. But that doesn't make me innocent. In other words, sometimes our conscience could lead us in the wrong direction if it's misinformed. So in the end, Paul says, leave these matters to God. God is the one who will inform, guide, and ultimately judge. So our conscience, third thing, can be and is sometimes wrong. 1 Timothy 4 um, says, the Spirit clearly says in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. And he's talking about people in the church. So there will be people who claim to follow Jesus, but will actually follow a lie. And their conscience will lead them astray. And he says, such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose, quote, consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. It is so possible to fill your mind and your soul and your thinking with teaching that sounds right but is off. It doesn't come from God. Its source is against God, demonic or satanic, whatever term you want to use. It doesn't come from the spirit of Jesus. And if you're not careful, after a while you will so believe a lie, it's like your conscience cannot have the truth penetrate anymore. It's seared. You're so convinced, but so wrong, you can lead yourself astray and others astray. So again, the conscience is a gift from God and of the Holy Spirit wants to inform it, 
but we need to be careful. This is why we don't follow feelings or just, you know, I'm following the way of peace. Well, that's helpful if peace is based on truth. But if you're peace about a situation and that situation is out of line with the way of Jesus, your conscience in that moment is seared. You're saying, I'm gonna go with good feeling, even though the truth is saying what I'm doing is not honoring to God. So this is where the gift of the Holy Spirit is so good because the Spirit is here to guide us and we wanna grow in awareness of his presence so that day by day, moment by moment, year by year, we are so growing more and more attuned to the voice of God. When I say voice, don't think, you know, is it deep? Because evidently, God's voice is really deep, right? Have you ever heard of, hey, guys, I'm God? You just, you don't, you don't hear that. It's always booming God voice. And I don't know why, but just, I guess it sounds more powerful or authoritative. But we want to grow accustomed to what God sounds like in our soul, in our mind. And I tell you, as a follower of Jesus, over the years and decades, God is clearer now than he was when I was a teen. And that's a good thing. So that's the invitation, is to learn and grow over time of what truth, what God sounds like, so I'm actively having my conscience renewed by the truth and not whatever I feel. All right, that was a lot, and we'll do that about once a month or so. Keep the questions coming, and if you have it, someone else has that question. So why don't you just present it so we can answer your questions and not just mine. All right, let's pray, and we're going to look at one thing about the life of Jesus and the Spirit. Lord, we do thank you that you're teaching us, growing us, sharpening us, so that we can know and enjoy you more. Lord, I know it's your desire to be with your people day by day, hour by hour. I know you long for us to enjoy you more than we'll ever even imagine. But God, we confess sometimes we're just so distracted by all the stuff of life that we put you in the background rather than the forefront. But we're your children and we're stopping everything else, God, to hear from you. So Holy Spirit, speak through the pages of scripture that you authored, that you guided, that you protected. Now take these truths and speak them and embed them deep in our soul, we pray, so that we can enjoy you and follow you now and forever. In Jesus' name, everybody say it. Amen. All right, recap last week, if you missed it. Stephen said that in the Old Testament, we see at least five things that the Spirit is engaged with. The Spirit guides, uh, sorry, creates, guides, empowers, speaks, and leads us to Christ. At least these five things you see in the activity in the 100 plus instances. But now when you move to the New Testament, you have 250 plus instances. You're gonna see the work of the Spirit more in the New Testament and the Old because he's hiding in the Old. No, it's the Spirit is at work in Jesus. We're gonna see that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John this month. And because the Spirit is working Jesus, now the Spirit will be at work in Jesus' people in profound ways. And I want us to see one, and it has to do with Jesus' birth today. Next week, we're going to look at baptism, Jesus' baptism, and Jesus going into the desert to be tempted. And as we have Baptism Sunday, we're going to look at what happened when Jesus was baptized with water, and then how the Spirit took him out to be tested. That's next week. 
one big idea in two parts today. Write down the big idea. Part two will come a little later. The Spirit is working to bring about Jesus's birth. Um, The Holy Spirit is present in and around the birth of Jesus. And so next week and beyond, it will will grow an understanding of Jesus as an adult, but we see that before he's an adult, he comes as a child, and it's the Spirit that's working. And we're going to see in part two that the Spirit working in the birth of Jesus has everything to do with the Spirit uh, working in our rebirth. That's part two. Let's just look at a lot of Bible one in doubt, just take some photos and read these later. Luke chapter 1, verse 8. Luke 1, verse 8 and following. It says, uh, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was care- serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were outside praying. And then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled, he was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. He's on the rotation, this is a once in a lifetime experience for Zechariah. He will do this once in his life. Uh, It was done by lot, and when you were counted, you went in and you fulfill your duty. And what was his prayer? His prayer is that he and his wife would have a child. And notice it says, your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You're to call him John. And he will be a delight and a joy and a delight to you. He'll never cry. No, it doesn't say that. (laughs) But he's going to be a delight. And many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. And he'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord, quote, in the spirit and power of Elijah, whatever that is, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. A lot of Bible reading, but I want us to see what's happening in Zechariah and Elizabeth and John the Baptist. The spirit is working. By the way, John the Baptist is the only person in the New Testament that is called to have the spirit from, from before he was born in his mother's womb. There's a unique work going on in John the Baptist. And, and what's going on? The spirit is at work not just in Jesus, but in all the people and all the events around Jesus. And this is so helpful for us to remember. Let's bring it into our day. Every time a child is born, every place where new life is happening, we need to remember. We just assume it. Look, mom, dad, get together. Oh, baby's going to be born. Great. No, God is at work. God's the author of life. Every child is a gift from God. Every birth is a miracle. And the Spirit of God is at work in the circumstances in and around, especially the life of Jesus, who's the Messiah, sure, but, but even in the life of John the Baptist, who's not the Messiah. And this tells us about what God is like. God is in the details. And, and, and notice specifically verse 17, he's gonna go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah. Uh, for those of you who may not have made the connection, the last uh, book of the Old Testament 
in the, the books of the minor prophets for us is Malachi. He's the closest prophet to the time of Jesus. He's 400 years before Jesus. And that little prophetic book ends with this little shot across the bow, this little word about what God's going to do. Someone is going to come, and the power, the spirit of Elijah spoke and enacted the words and the works of God. And at the time of Malachi, Israel had become a mess, and then it gets even messier, and there's 400 years of silence. There was no Holy Spirit-inspired speech to speak out new scripture for 400 years. 400 years. But the last little bit of promise is that one is going to come in the spirit and power of Elijah and, and notice what happens. The angel lets Zechariah and the crew know uh, this, is, this is happening again. John the Baptist is going to be filled with the Holy Spirit and God's speaking voice is going to be heard, but it's going to be unlike before. It's not just going to be pointing back to the book of Moses and the book of the law and what you should do. Something new is happening. And in the birth of John the Baptist, in the work of Zechariah and Elizabeth who love God, God met them. And now this one's going to come who's greater than any prophet, greater than Moses, greater than Isaiah, greater than Elijah. And, and God's power is uniquely going to be present in him because he will be like no other child. The Spirit is working in the people around the coming of Jesus. And then in, in the coming of Jesus through Mary, just keep reading down in, in Luke chapter 1. It says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent his angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who's a descendant of David. This virgin's name was Mary. And the angels went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored the Lord is with you. So the Lord is with Zechariah and Elizabeth and the birth of John the Baptist. This isn't just their work. This is God's work. But Mary's getting a similar message. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive. You'll give birth to a son. You're to give him the name Jesus. I love how, how God is working with the specifics John is to be John. Jesus is to be Jesus. God is working. He will be called great and will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So, so the, God is speaking through the angels' voices are sh sharing with them. But how is this going to be? Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. And then notice this is where the Holy Spirit comes in. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow. Think, think of the temple, the tabernacle, and the presence of God comes on that physical space. That brick and mortar, so to speak. That constructed space. God's presence overshadowed, came upon the temple. And, and, and Mary is told, God's presence, the Holy Spirit, is going to come upon you in that way. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, 
for no word from God will ever fail. So Mary and Joseph, we know we're making our way towards Christmas. Like it or not, it's, it's late October and I'm bringing in Christmas. Here we go. But, um, but we, we see in the story that this is a couple that's pledged in their day. It was a year-long pledge. So you're married when you're pledged to be married. But there's a year gap. You're in your home. You have no relations with one another. But if you, if you break up, you get divorced, even though you actually haven't had the ceremony. It's that serious of a commitment. But there's a one-year gap, and then the wedding uh, day and celebration, and week-long celebration, and, and then you're together fully as husband and wife. So they're in that year gap, and God says, I'm going to do what has never been done and what will never be repeated. Uh, the Spirit of God is going to come upon Mary and so she will have a child that will be called not the son of Joseph, but the son of God. And don't get lost in the details of how can that happen. Hey, you're breathing. That's miraculous. There's a lot of things you don't, you don't understand, but you just believe because you see the evidence of them. So God unique, uniquely comes on John the Baptist to take all that the Spirit was saying to God's people before the coming of Jesus. And John is now reawakening prophecy, God's speaking voice by the power of the Spirit to prepare after 400 years of silence to prepare a people who will now hear from God made flesh. And so the Spirit conceives Jesus in, in the mother's womb. And so if Jesus is the Son of God and Jesus is God made flesh, where is Jesus before that happens because Jesus is eternal. Mind blow that I'm not even gonna bother to get into today because that is just so awe-inspiring to think that the Son of God took on in time and space human flesh and he was born and God made his dwelling among us not by swooping down and hanging out. God, the Son, came out of a mother's womb. This should lead to praise to God who does things that are beyond us. And it is just, to, this is, we're, we're gaining foundation. We're gonna build on how this applies to us even more in the new year when we look at the fruit or the evidence of the Spirit, when we look at the power or the charisms or the charisma or the giftings of the Holy Spirit. We're gonna look at all that. But without this foundation, we're gonna just, just be looking at random thoughts. No, the Holy Spirit is God who is above. He's working in Simeon, Luke 2. You just keep reading down. There was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And notice, the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. He would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Talk about a promise for your life. God tells him, hey, it's gonna happen in your lifetime. And, and, and then moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law requires, so Jesus is gonna be dedicated. And I want us to see this. The Spirit is working in John the Baptist to prepare the way for the coming of Jesus. The Spirit is working in Mary and the conceiving of Jesus is done by God. But in Simeon, who seems like a bystander, but the Spirit's on him and the Spirit's revealing and, and the Spirit moved him into the, into the room where Jesus is gonna be brought in 
and be dedicated as the eldest child in every family would be dedicated to the Lord. Simeon is in the right place at the right time to say and experience the right things by the power of the Spirit. So Simeon took, off his, uh, took him in his arms. He's holding God the Son. And he praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. I can retire and go to glory. Why? My eyes have seen your salvation, which you've prepared in the sight of all the nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. <laughs> Simeon doesn't even realize what he's saying is birth of the Spirit. How do I know that? Because in their day, the Messiah was going to come to set God's people, Israel, free. But led by the Spirit, Simeon prophesies what's about to happen in the life of Jesus, that he's going to be a light to the Gentiles. And all the world's going to know that God is king in and through his son, Jesus. And, and Simeon is a part of the big thing that God is doing. And, and what made that possible? Now, obviously, he had a heart for God, but it's God, the Holy Spirit, who comes on him. One last one, Anna. Keep reading down. A couple more verses. There was a prophet, Anna, the, the daughter, uh, daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher, and she was very old. I love the details. You don't call a lady old. But anyway, evidently they did back in the day um, before political correctness. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. Then she was a widow until she's 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Now, it doesn't say the word Holy Spirit, but you see the same idea here. Coming up to them at that very moment, she encounters Mary and Joseph and the child. She gives thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. The Spirit of God gives her insight into, by the way, kids are being brought all the time. This isn't like special Messiah dedicating Sunday, you know. Kids are being brought all the time to thank God for new life. And God leads Zechariah and Elizabeth to be aware of the mission of their son. And then we'll see later, John the Baptist is moving the power of the Holy Spirit. And you see in Simeon, who's around the scene, he's at the right place at the right time, saying the right things, all by the power of the Spirit. And Anna, who is just whose life is immersed in the presence of God, she's there and she speaks about what this child would, would do. Uh, I just want us to be reminded, we might not be aware of the details, but the Spirit of God is moving all over your life in ways that will blow your mind if you would just be open to them. God knows where you were born. God knows what your upbringing bringing was like before it happened. And I'm not saying God causes everything and, and God dictates everything, but I am saying that the God of the universe that orchestrates the coming of Jesus is moving and it is the Holy Spirit. Like, it's like we had said the other day, things come from the Father, they come through the Son and they are actualized or they come into practice or they're sent by means of the Holy Spirit. God is moving all over the place especially, now let's just flip the page. We know that the Spirit was working in the coming of Jesus and the birth of Jesus. The second part of this, though, is that the Spirit is working to bring about our rebirth. When we think about the birth of Jesus, it is about the unique 
one-time miraculous coming of the Messiah. I don't want to shortchange that at all. Jesus is like no other child in that he's God-made flesh. But what is happening, hear this, by the Holy Spirit in the life of Jesus is now happening in very real ways in your rebirth. How does the life of Jesus and the birth of Jesus and the coming of Jesus make practical implication into our world? Um, I want us to look through a couple of occasions where we see this played out. We'll pick up on it next week. John 3, classic. Uh, John 3, verses 3 to 8. Uh, remember, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, and then he has this conversation. Jesus replied to Nicodemus, Very truly I tell you, no one could see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can anyone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they can't enter a second time to their mother's womb to be born. Jesus is using birth and rebirth language in ways that we need to pay attention to. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Holy Spirit or spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh Mom and dad give birth to children. But the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You become alive to God by the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows whatever it pleases. You hear its sound. You can't tell where it's coming from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus came to give us a new life, to bring about our rebirth, not just the fixing of the old, not just the repairing of the holes in the wall. Because of Jesus and his unique birth, his unique life, his unique death, his unique resurrection, now for those of us who follow Jesus, the same spirit who is at work in salvation coming through the Son is now at work. That same Holy Spirit is now at work in my life and in your life. And, and Jesus says it starts with being Born anew, a, a helpful quote uh, by Simon on a great book. If you want to get a book that gives you a, a, a real sweeping uh, study of the Holy Spirit, his book, God Inside Out, an in-depth study of the Holy Spirit has been so helpful. Quote, we cannot achieve it or evolve into it. We must receive it. The Spirit must come and transform us within, regenerating, rebirthing, renewing, recreating. To speak of birth, quote-unquote, speaks of a, a whole new start or a new beginning. The spirit, who's also known as the breath or the pneuma, which sustains natural life, must revisit us in a qualitatively new way to enable spiritual life, uh, end quote. So the spirit that gave birth through Mary to King Jesus, that same spirit is bringing about the new you. So, so to clarify, Jesus, when he's talking to Nicodemus, it's like, you don't have to physically go back into your mother's womb to experience God's presence in full, but you need to be reborn. And this is going to happen through the same spirit that brought about the birth of Jesus is now gonna take your life and not just fix it, not just improve it, but make it brand new. It's why we call people to follow Jesus all the time here. It's because what we don't need, hear me, what we don't need is just spiritual, helpful advice. 
to help you walk through times of difficulty and change. We don't just need spiritual tips to walk around and, you know, I get a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Um, No, we need something greater. We need to be made new on the inside, new heart, new spirit within us so that we can receive God's presence to walk with us day by day and change and transform us. Now, for those of you who were brought up going to church all the time, that's so common that we don't think about it. But for many people, part of the challenge is they know about Jesus, they know about the Bible, they know about what God has said, but they've actually not been reborn. The change hasn't happened within. And so life with God, the way God intended it, comes through the Son. How does the Son make it real to you? Like Jesus is born, we are now reborn. Well, what does that look like? Titus 3, verses 3 to 7. When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. How did He do it? He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. I want you to notice Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father sends the Son. And because of the Son's perfect work, now the Son says, I'm not going to leave you comfortless. I'm going to send the Spirit, and the Spirit's going to be poured out on you. Verse 7, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. The fancy theological term here is we need regeneration, new genes, new spiritual DNA. And the Holy Spirit is the one, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, but the Holy Spirit who is the one who brings about, because of the work of Jesus, my new genes, my new spiritual DNA. And regeneration or, or being born again or being born from above or being recreated, they're all synonyms. It happens in a moment. It is not like a 10-year process. It happens in the moment I say, Jesus, rescue me. When I hear and believe that Jesus is who he says he is, he's the son of God. I'm not blaspheming the Holy Spirit. I believe that Jesus is sent from the Father to pay my sin debt in full. He's risen, he's alive, and he's still rescuing. When I put my hope and trust in Jesus, I am in that moment in God's sight recreated. Reborn! I'm a new baby in that the old is really Gone. When you, when you look at a baby that just comes out of the mother's womb, other than the when, when the, the cleaning has happened, there's no past that you know of, right? I mean, they were in, alive in the womb beforehand, yeah, don't get technical on me, but, 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 but right, right, and breathing air in a new way, their whole future's ahead, all the possibilities are there. All the potential is there. And in the same thing, same way, in, in Jesus, you, have, you may have been, and then put the big list, you may have done, you may have felt, you may have all that, all that's real, all that's true. I'm not denying it. I'm just saying it's really gone. And if we will lay hold of that, we will live as a new people because part of our challenge is Jesus loving people 
is we so often defer to the old life when Jesus is saying, I already took care of that. We old guilt and old remorse and old, or old habits and old ways of living. And Jesus is saying, well, I actually sent you the Spirit and the Spirit makes the new birth happen. It's in a moment. It's not all the Holy Spirit does. We'll look at the Spirit leading, guiding, correcting in the days to come. Uh, and we'll look at the life of Jesus in the Spirit empowering. But one last verse and we're done. 1 Peter 3, 5. Praise be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power into the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. By the way, looking at these verses now, we're going to look at them again in more detail, but I want you to see what regeneration, rebirth, recreation is, is like. We are, and just take a photo of this screen. These are all truths based on the work of the Holy Spirit. We are rescued from darkness and brought into life. You have been rescued if your faith is in Jesus. We are redeemed from the bondage and the penalty of sin. Doesn't mean we don't sin in the present. Doesn't mean we don't sin in the future. But the weight of our guilt and shame is gone. We are brought from death to life. The old person doesn't live anymore. Same physical DNA, but in terms of your ability to know the presence of God and live by the presence of God and live empowered by the power of God, it's, it's absolutely new. We are changed from being slaves to sons and daughters. So many of us are still walking around with mom and dad issues because our human family story has been so scattered and so painful. But you in Jesus Christ, while you're still, still wrestling and dealing with all of those things and the repercussions, you are now a child of God. You belong to him. You are his son, you are his daughter, and he loves you in ways that no human can. We are made a new creation, we are born again, and we're joint heirs with Christ, and we're seated with God in the heavenly realms in that. What God already is experiencing, which is the future, we will experience with him when he makes the world new or when we leave this earth as a child of God and we enter into the presence of God. Your future, because of your new birth, is to be with God forever. And when we stumble and when we fall, and friend, we do. We need to remember who we are. It's the birth of Jesus, guided by the Spirit, now gives us the hope that our rebirth is real. And as the Holy Spirit was working in and around the newness of Jesus, now the Holy Spirit is working in and around the newness of you. This is who you are because of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, which which make, it should stir in us a heart to want to praise when you remember who you are. And it should motivate us to want to live for Jesus because who he's created us to be. And so we want to respond. We want to remember today we really are new people and this is by the same spirit that was in and through Jesus now is the same spirit 
working in and through you. I'm going to invite you to stand if you would, and we're going to invite the guys to come back and lead us in worship. But let me tell you an appropriate response this morning, one or two, and then we're going to invite you to live these out. We're going to take communion in a few moments. We're going to remember Jesus Christ. We're going to remember his power to forgive in the giving of his body, his body broken for you, his blood, his life spilled for you and for me. We're going to remember Jesus. That's an appropriate response. We're going to sing songs of praise. And when you just remember all that God's done, this isn't just information, people. This is about reality, and it ought to cause us to want to give God the glory that's due his name. So praise is a response. But you know what? I think the most appropriate response is to actually say, Jesus, rescue me, right? And it's until you've had the rebirth, all of this is just information. But the Spirit of God has been working in and around your life. And if you're here this morning, you say, oh, I've never even thought about it. I've never thought about asking God to make me new. Then I want to invite you to do that. And if you do that this morning, um, I'm going to ask that you do me a favor. We open up for prayer every time we ask people to go to the table. There's a little prayer section in the back. And if you want to follow Jesus and receive his gift of eternal life, I'm going to invite you as well. You can go to prayer for anything. Just to slip over there and just tell one of my friends that, you know what, I, I want to experience the new life that's in Jesus. And I want the Holy Spirit to come and, and make me new. And we've got a little book that we want to give you. I want to connect with you. We want to help you take steps towards baptism. So I invite you to do that this morning. Whatever burden, whatever challenge, whatever struggle, um, whatever you're going through, those things are real. But let's just remember this morning, the new life that we have in Jesus is more real and more powerful than any of those forces. And Jesus is with you and for you, and he's working for your good. So let's respond in praise. Lord, we love you and we thank you that you've given us this new life and this new life it comes from you, Father. We know it's through your Son. But thank you for enlightening our eyes to see you, Holy Spirit, and how you were moving to bring about the coming of Jesus and how you're moving to bring about the new birth so that we can worship you, triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, not only in spirit but in truth. So, Lord, we just are in awe of who you are. We're caught up and the details of how great you are. But we, Lord, we want to be empowered to live the Jesus life. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Provide what we need in all of its forms. And as we respond and do our part to say yes to what you're doing, be pleased, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.